right, and they're moving on. Good to see you all. I should feel good about that, but somehow people leaving when I'm preaching, it's always a little uneasy. So I hope you don't leave, okay? Don't consider yourself a child this morning. Good morning, church family. I am so excited to be here. You know why? Because Tuesday night we had our new member Connect class. We had 24 people come to that class this past week, and it was a great time. God is good. God is moving. And uh, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, and we're picking back up in our study of the book of Ephesians. Uh, chapter 2 of Ephesians, that's page uh, 1134 in your pew Bibles. So uh, if you'll turn there and uh, we'll walk through that. Um, I want to also um, uh, talk to you a little bit about how to catch us up because it's been uh, a little time since we've been in Ephesians. If you remember, we began Ephesians 1, uh, verses 1 through 14, and we talked about the seven spiritual blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. And the latter part of that chapter, verses 15 to 23, we learned that how to know Christ more intimately. There were three ways in which we can learn and know Christ more intimately. And then a few weeks ago, we uh, turned over to chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, and we talked about the three elements of what it means to be saved in Christ. That uh, we have sin in our lives. Let's be honest, all of us, every single human being has sin that separates us from a holy God. And then, of course, there is the grace of God that saves us. There's nothing you and I can do. There is nothing that you and I can uh, achieve or accomplish in the eyes of God and be acceptable to him. We, even our most righteous acts, Isaiah 66 would say, are as filthy rags before him, a holy God. And so therefore, the, the grace of God is unmerited favor. He gives us what we don't deserve. He gives us the ability to come to him through Jesus Christ. And then, of course, the third aspect of that particular passage, verses 1 through 10, is, of course, now faith that serves because it is by grace you have been saved through faith. So you access that beautiful grace of God by exercising your faith in his son, Jesus Christ. And when you place your faith in him, then you have work to do. It says there in verse 10 that we are prepared in advance. God's prepared in advance for us to do work. Once you come to Christ, then you do work. There's no work you can do before you come to Christ. But once you are in him, then you must work. And that is why we are here gathered this morning. Part of our work is to worship him in spirit and in truth. I mean, I will tell you, just so you know, uh, when I survey the wondrous cross is one of my favorite hymns because it helps me to focus on the greatest sacrifice that anyone has ever done for this world. And it is Jesus Christ. Let us continue to focus on him. Every single thing that we collect in this world is nothing compared to the riches of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so um, if you could stand for the reading of God's word, we're going to pick up again in chapter 2 of Ephesians, and I'm going to read verses 11 through 22. And incidentally, the reason that we stand for the reading of God's word, it, there's biblical precedent for it, 
uh, in Nehemiah chapter 8, as the Israelites had returned to the land after their 70-year exile, it was Ezra, the priest, who stood up, having found the book of the law, and he opened up the book of the law, and he stood on a platform, a high platform, just like this. And then it said that he read from morning from dawn until noon, and the people, when he opened up the book of the law, they stood for the reading of God's word. And so that's why we stand uh, every Sunday when we read from God's word. And so here it begins in verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him too, you are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Father, this is your word. We thank you for it. Paul penned these words over 2,000 years ago, and yet today they are as rich and as applicable to us this morning here at Ashley River Baptist Church. May it fuel our faith. May it it come into our hearts and change us from the inside out as we engage our community with the love of Jesus Christ displayed on the cross and demonstrated by the power of his resurrection. We pray all of this in his name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So I want to begin this morning by asking you a simple question or two. How do you achieve peace in your world? How do we achieve peace? Peace among countries. At current count, there are 27 conflicts going on around the world. 27 wars or serious conflicts, people killing each other. The world is not at peace. We just learned yesterday in Dallas, Texas, or just outside of Dallas, Texas, a man went into a mall, a shopping mall, and started shooting people up. Nine people are dead. Others are critically injured. And because of this, we see the violence and the crime in our country that's hitting us. How do we get peace? How do we achieve peace? How do we reconcile our differences? 
Social media has created a place where it, it just kind of drives a wedge between di different opinions, different beliefs, different values, different perspectives. And here we live in a world where there's, everybody wants peace, everybody wants reconciliation, but we don't have it. And let's face it, folks, if you can't find reconciliation in the royal family, how can you find it in yours? Think about yesterday, King Charles III was coronated as king. Waited 70 years to be king, 73 years to be king. And his youngest son came and it was an errand for him. It was a check the box to just show up. And then he left, didn't even share lunch with the family. There's discord in the royal family. I would ask the question, is there discord? Is there division? Is there strife? Are there differences of opinion in your family? How do you achieve peace? You see, Paul understood this idea as he wrote to the Ephesians. Because you understand in the book of Ephesians, there are really two people in the church. There's two kinds of people. Biblically, there are three groups of people as God looks down from heaven. There are Gentiles. There are people who are born in this world who are not Jewish and not part of the church. And they can come into the church by faith in Christ. There are Jews, the chosen people of God. God called out the Jewish people to be his people. According to the Bible, there are Gentiles and there are Jews. And then, of course, when Christ came, then all of a sudden the, the church of Jesus Christ was born. And it consists of both Gentile and Jew. But when Paul was making his rounds, planting churches, becoming a missionary for Jesus Christ, he would go into the synagogues, he would go into the cities, into the agoras, as it is called, the marketplaces, and he would reason with them and talk to them about how the Messiah, Jesus Christ, has come. And how he has brought eternal life to all of those who believe. But within the church, within Ephesus, and many other churches that Paul wrote about, or wrote to, there's this battle, this strife, this division between the Jewish converts and the Gentile converts. And we see in our passage here this morning that Paul kind of is addressing both groups of people as he's going through this, sharing with them the spiritual blessings that they have as being one in Christ. But he is clearly laying out that there is still this sense of division, even within the church. And so here he says, therefore, having expressed what it means to be saved in Christ, therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles, so he's addressing specifically the Gentiles there in verse 11, you who were Gentiles by birth called the uncircumcised. Now Jewish people identified themselves as the circumcision. This began with Abraham, okay? The circumcision covenant of Abraham, you see? And this is why it's so important for us to understand the entire word of God. And so he's, they were called the uncircumcision, done in the body by hands of men. And it says there in verse 12, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. Your sin separated you and you were also excluded from citizenship in Israel. You were not part of that chosen people of God. And then it says there that they were foreigners to the covenants. 
foreigners to the covenants. The first covenant really is with Noah. God gives a covenant with Noah after he brings a flood on the world. You young people in school, you learn about the rainbow. Well, the rainbow that is in the clouds after it rains is God's sign, God's promise that he will never bring a flood upon the earth and its inhabitants again. And guess what? We've never had a flood since. That is worldwide. God keeps his covenant promises. The second covenant promise was with Abram. Abraham didn't have any children. Abraham didn't have any land. God said, you will be a father of many nations. And you will have offspring as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. At the time, Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90 years old. And he laughed. And when they came to Abraham and Sarah, angels, visitors, they came and they told him, this time next year, Sarah will give birth to a son. And Sarah laughed. And so they they had to name him Isaac because... The word Isaac means she laughs, you see. But in fact, Isaac was born. And God gave Isaac to them as a promise to them. It was the Abrahamic promise. He gave them land. And of course, he gave them the circumcision as a sign of that promise. The third is Mosaic Covenant. The law, the Ten Commandments. God came down, the mediator of an angel coming down, bringing the law to Mount Sinai. And so there Moses gives the law to the people of Israel. And that is the promise of God that he will carry them into the promised land. And these will be the laws that will rule and govern their people. And so that covenant promise was there for the Israelite people. And then the fourth covenant is the Davidic covenant. When David was on the throne, God said, the throne will not depart from your lineage. Your son will become king and he will become a king after you. But then there will come a king in the future whose reign and rule will never end, pointing to Jesus Christ. You see, all these covenant promises, the Gentiles had no idea about these. But there is a new covenant that we're going to celebrate this morning. We're going to observe it this morning in the Lord's Supper, that new covenant covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, but these Gentiles not only were excluded from citizenship, separate from Christ, and didn't have any idea about the covenants, but they, it says here that they were without hope and without God in the world. How many of your friends and family and people you know, you work with, people down the street from you who are without hope? Do you know somebody who is really struggling in life, who really has no hope. Well, this morning, we're going to hold up the Word of God and we're going to hold out the greatest hope that any of us could ever have. It's the three ways in which we can become one with God. The power of one. And so let's look at it. The first one is not hard to see. The power of one begins with one blood. One blood. Look at what it says there in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Let me share with you that I don't know if you know what your blood type is, but there's eight main blood types among all humans. 
There's, there's the O, positive and negative. There's the A, positive and negative. There's the B, positive and negative. And there's the AB, positive and negative. All of us have a blood type. But here I am to tell you this morning that if you are in Christ, you have one blood type. It is the blood of Jesus Christ. And because of that, they were brought near by the blood. So why is blood such an important thing? Why do we need to have blood to atone for the sin of us, the people of God, and the people who have not yet believed in God. Why do we have to atone? Leviticus 17:11 says it this way, for the life of the creature is in the blood, and I have given to you to make atonement for yourselves at the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. What is atonement? Atonement is a covering. It's the word kippur, kippur. It's where we get the Day of Atonement. Jewish people observe it. It's the most sacred and holy day of the year for Jewish people. It's called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. The Hebrew word Kippur means covering. It's covered. Your sin is covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. When did this idea of sacrificing with blood to atone for sin begin? It actually began in Genesis chapter 3, if you can imagine it. In Genesis chapter 2, God told Adam and Eve, you will not eat of this tree, because if you eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in that day that you eat of it, you will certainly die. Now, they didn't die physically. They died spiritually. They were spiritually separate from a holy God because they disobeyed his command. And so God said they have to leave the garden, but the first thing he did was... He took animal skins to cover them, to cover their nakedness and their shame. Well, when you have animal skins, you have to shed blood. That's the very first. The very first time in the Bible, the very first sin was atoned for by blood. And you think about Abraham on the mountain, Mount Moriah, when he went up to sacrifice his one and only son, Isaac, Genesis chapter 22. And he takes Isaac up. Isaac says, where's the offering? And Abraham tells him, God will provide. And he's about to slay his own son. And if he, in Hebrews chapter 11, we learn what faith it must take to slay your one and only son, the one you've waited your whole life for, the one that God promised to you. In Hebrews chapter 11, Abraham considers in his heart that even God could raise him from the dead. Oh, what faith. God saw the faith of Abraham and it was credited to him as righteousness, you see. And so he's up on this mountain, Mount Moriah. And he goes to slay his son. An angel calls out his name and says, Abraham, Abraham, do not slay your son. I now know that you trust God. And so Abraham looked around and he saw a ram caught in a thicket. And that ram became the offering. And Abraham named that mountain, the Lord will provide. Fast forward 2,000 years later, on that same mountain range, Jesus Christ died on the cross at Calvary. The Lord will provide. And then thirdly, we see, of course, Marcus read it this morning, it was the Passover. Many of us know the Passover. 
The Israelites were now encamped in Egypt. They were enslaved for 400 years. God said, I'm going to deliver you out of the hands of the Egyptians. And then he says, here's how I will know that you trust me to lead you out to freedom. You are to slay an animal at twilight, a lamb without blemish, one year old, without defect. That lamb's blood will be a sign to me, and you are to put it on the doorpost and the lintels of your homes. Oh, today, when we trust Jesus Christ, we are placing the blood of Christ on the doorposts and lintels of our heart. It is when we trust Christ that we place the blood on our heart. And when God saw the blood on these houses, what did he do? He passed over. And the Passover is observed and celebrated even today by Jewish people. It's called the Passover Seder Feast every year at the Passover time in the spring. You see, these are the reasons why blood must be shed. But there are benefits, there are promises of this blood. Let me share with you 10 of them. There are so many more, but there are 10 of them. First, it brings propitiation. The word propitiation literally means that it is a satisfaction of God's justice. You understand that when we sin, when we disobey God's perfect law, God cannot, because he is so holy and just, he cannot just wink at our sin. Our sin matters. So many churches don't talk about this anymore. They don't talk about the blood. They don't talk about our sin. But the truth is, is that sin is what separates us from a holy God. Let me share with you. When he appeared on top of that mountain, those people shuddered. Those people were like, no, Moses, we're not going up there. You go up there. I'm going to stay down here because he is a holy God, a consuming fire. And so when Jesus died on the cross, it was God's love demonstrated so beautifully that he was not going to count your sins against you. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Praise God. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Propitiation. Secondly, there's the forgiveness. In Hebrews it says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. There's no remission. Forgiveness. In fact, this is the one element of Christianity that really distinguishes itself from every other single world religion. It's forgiveness. This idea that a holy, loving, just God can forgive us of our sin in spite of our inability to do anything about it. In his great wisdom and ingenuity, God divined a plan. He devised a plan by which he himself in the person of Christ would do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Oh, the world today needs to hear this good news. That forgiveness is available to all of us. We can be rightly related to God because of that forgiveness. Thirdly, there's redemption. Redemption. The word redemption literally means to buy back. To buy back. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse uh, verse 7, it says this, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. And in Hebrews 9.12, it says, He, that is Christ, did not enter by means of blood of bulls and goats, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thereby obtaining eternal redemption. And in 
Revelation 19.11. It says this, With your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and, hu- language and people and nation. So there's propitiation. The satisfaction of God's justice. There's forgiveness. There's redemption. But then there's fourthly, healing. In Isaiah 53, it says this, He was crushed for our iniquities. He was bruised for our transgressions. And by his wounds we are healed. Praise the Lord. You can be healed today when you give your life to Christ. Fifthly, there's purification. We need to be clean. We need to be purified. In Isaiah 1.18, it says, Though your your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. In John, 1 John 1, 7, it says, The blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. And in Revelation 7, 14, They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. This, this is beautiful purification for your sin. And then, of course, sixthly, there's holiness. Holiness. How can we be holy? God said, be holy even as I am holy. In Hebrews 13, 12, and it says, And so Jesus also suffered suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Do you see what the blood does? It brings all of these benefits to those who trust Jesus as Savior. Number seven, it brings justification. Justification means that God has declared us not guilty. We are guilty, but he declares us not guilty because of Christ. In Romans 5, 9, it says, Since we have been justified by his blood, by his blood we are justified. Number eight, we have access to God. This morning I was up in the youth department and it was talking about how we have access. We don't need to go through a priest to confess our sins and to have them forgiven. We can come straight to the high priest, Jesus Christ. He is our high priest. He is the one who took on our sins. He has given us access to God. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. It is by the blood of Jesus that you and I have access to God. Oh, but then I get to that word that I mentioned earlier in my questions. Peace. You want peace today? You want peace with God? You want peace with others? You can have it through the blood. In Colossians 1.20 it says this, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And in Romans 5 it says, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by our faith. You can have peace with God this morning. And then number 10, freedom. You want to be free this morning? Free from the sin of your past? Free from the sin of your future? You see, when Christ died on the cross, he died for all. Past, present, and future. Any sin you commit in your future is already covered by the blood of Christ. That's good news. That's good news. You're you're assured your salvation because the work is finished in Jesus Christ. When you came to Christ, if you genuinely came to Jesus Christ, then guess what? Your salvation is sure. Praise God. And then finally, this freedom. To him who loves us 
and has freed us from our sins by his blood. It says in Revelation 5.9. By his blood we have been freed. So all of these beautiful benefits and promises of God are available to all of us. One blood. One sacrifice. Once for all. Praise God and hallelujah. But there's secondly, there's secondly, one body. Look at what it says there. In chapter 2, the very next few verses there, the next paragraph. It says this, for he himself is our peace. So there's two aspects of this one body. It brings peace and it brings reconciliation. For he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. He is addressing again this division within the church. And he's saying, Jew and Gentile, get along. You're now part of one body. You're no longer separate. You are one. You're not two. You are one. One body, the body of Jesus Christ. He has obtained it. Jesus has obtained it by fulfilling the law in his body. Look at what it says there. By abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, what does he say? He says, do not think that I have come to destroy the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill them. And so Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. He is the end of the law. And because of that, we now have a, a way in which we can become rightly related to God. The righteousness of God is imputed to us because Christ himself is the righteousness that we are in. And so 1 Peter 2.24 says this, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds we are healed. He's quoting Isaiah 53. There is now one new humanity out of the two, thus bringing peace. And so if you want peace today, stay, abide, live in Christ each and every day. And then secondly, there's reconciliation through the cross. Look at what it says there. He, in, in verse 15, it says, His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. You see, the reconciliation, rec to reconcile means to be made right. If you have a disagreement with somebody, what you do is you go to them and you say, I have, uh, you and I are not aligned. You and I have some kind of disconnect here. We're missing each other. And the best way to reconcile with someone is as soon as you learn that there's a disconnect. Don't wait. Because guess what happens when you wait? When you wait, you build up a grudge. You build up resentment. You build up bitterness. And this is not of God, you see. So if you're sitting here this morning and you are not reconciled to somebody, today is your day of salvation there. To come to reconciliation with that person. The only way to do it is by the power of Christ and the Spirit. And that's what he does. In his body, he brings reconciliation. Paul says in his letter to the Corinthians this, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself. You see, I just talked about us reconciling with one another. But be, with God, he's the one who reconciles. Praise God. It doesn't depend on you and me to reconcile ourselves to God. He does it for us. 
who is reconciling us and he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. Oh, and he has what? Committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. The gospel. All of us have been given the gospel to go and share so that people may be reconciled to God. That God himself will pull them up out of the slimy pit of sin. That is what God does. The devil accuses. You'll have friends and family members who think that they have sinned, that, that God can't forgive. Have you ever felt that way? There is sin in my life I, I know God would never forgive. How small do you think God is? God's so big. His grace is so great. While sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. There is no sin that God will not forgive. Every single sin in your life, God will wipe it clean. He'll purify you. He'll make you holy. He'll justify you. He'll redeem you. He'll make you holy. This is what God wants for your life, for you to be completely reconciled to Him. And when you are, then you will be free. The devil divides, but Jesus unites. The devil discourages. Have you ever felt discouraged in your sin? Jesus encourages you. He strengthens you. He helps you to overcome. You can't overcome it yourself. Jesus does it for you. But you've got to be in him. You've got to abide in Christ. You've got to be in his word. When you're in his word, there is nothing. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen. This is important stuff for us to understand. So as the body of Christ, we have access to God. And so right now, we're going to enter into a time of the new covenant in Christ's blood. You see, we said we, we talked about one blood, one body. For those who have your elements, we're going to do the Lord's Supper right now. We're going to observe the Lord's Supper. And then we'll come back to the sermon. So here are your elements right here. Take them out. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you don't have to be a member of this church in order to observe the Lord's Supper. You just have to be a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. And I want you to remove the top film and re reveal the wafer. And I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. But before we do, I want us to enter into a time of personal prayer. I just, I just threw a lot of stuff at us this morning. The blood of Christ and the body of Christ. Now's the time for us to come to Christ, those of us who are in him, and examine our own hearts. Do we have to confess our sin? Do we have to come to a place where we are right with God? When you do that, that's so important. And so come to the table, but pray first. This is your opportunity with God. Amen. Amen. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, 
he broke it and said, this is my body given for you. Take and eat. Take and eat. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, the cup, this cup, is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you for the body of Christ. We thank you for the blood of Christ shed on the cross for our sin as an atonement, a covering for our sin, and as payment for the penalty for our sin. Oh Lord, you are just, you are loving. You have provided a way for us to be rightly related to you again through the blood of Christ and the body of Christ. We thank you in his name. Amen. Amen. Now having said all that, we turn to the third part of this oneness with God. You know, when Jesus was in the upper room, he prayed for his disciples. And he prayed for you and I. And he said, oh Lord, may they be one even as you and I are one. We can be one with God because we are now part of a spiritual household of God. Isn't that amazing? You're part of Ashley River Baptist Church. And guess what? Ashley River Baptist Church is part of an even larger family of faith called the Universal Church. And the kingdom, the kingdom. Jesus mentioned the kingdom 121 times in the Gospels. He mentioned the word church twice. So he is a kingdom-minded savior. But it says there, um, over there in Ephesians chapter 2, what does it say? It says that the Gentiles are now fellow citizens. Part of the family of God. And Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. In 2 Peter it says this. You also, or 1 Peter, I'm sorry. It says this. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, see I lay a stone in Zion. A chosen and precious cornerstone and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame now to you who believe this stone is precious but to those who do not believe the stone the builders rejected has become the corner stone you see jesus christ is the cornerstone every building that's built has a cornerstone it establishes and aligns that building for a secure foundation a firm foundation Jesus Christ is the perfect stone. He is the precious cornerstone of God. And because he is the precious cornerstone of God, then he is, in fact, perfectly aligned to the will of God. And the apostles lined up with him. They're the foundation. And the prophets aligned with him. And as you align each stone perfectly with the chief cornerstone, and you turn the corner, and then you come and you build this spiritual house on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles, guess what you're doing? You're building a firm foundation that will never be shaken. It will never be shaken. It will never be destroyed. It will never be overrun. Why? Because it is the building of God. You and I are part of the building of God. There is one 
building and we are part of it. Praise God and hallelujah. You're a spiritual house. You're living stones. You see, you're living. You're living and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ to add more stones to this spiritual house that we call the church. This is what it's all about. My question for all of us this morning, are you part of this holy temple? Are you ready to step up and say, I want to be a part of this holy temple? I want to be a part of the building of God because of the blood of Christ and the body of Christ shed on the cross for me and you. When you do, then guess what? Your life will be ordered in a way that you've never imagined before. God wants the best, most abundant life for you. He wants to bring you peace. Peace that surpasses all understanding. Peace that is like a river that dwells in the soul. Peace with him and peace with our fellow humankind. Do you want that peace? Come to Christ and give it to him. And he will bring you his peace. Because Jesus Christ is peace. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, Father, we love you. We thank you for this word. We thank you for this opportunity to just dwell richly on what the blood of Christ does for every believer. To dwell richly on the body of Christ. How beautiful is the body of Christ. And to dwell richly about the, just the beautiful truth that we can be part of one building one spiritual house, one holy temple in you. Father, there are people here this morning who've never truly trusted Christ. I pray, Lord, that if they have never taken that step, that they, today will be the day when they say yes to Jesus Christ. And as we're singing this hymn, I pray that those people who want to give their life to Christ can come forward. But I also pray for those who want to join this church to come forward during this song. They want to come and make Ashley River Baptist Church this local body, this spiritual house that they can get plugged into and really use the gifts that you've given them for your glory. Father, if there's others who are just wrestling right now, their life's out of order, but they're here where they're listening on live stream, Lord, I pray right there in their pew, they'll, they'll make some decisions, commitments to you to come and make, make their life right with you, just return to Jesus. Repent and return. And so, Father, as we sing this hymn, for those who want to come to Christ, for those who want to join this church, I pray that you'll bring them now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 You come as we sing. <laughs>